Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. Um, we're thankful to have visitors with us. Want you to know that we are encouraged by your presence. Um, I'm certainly encouraged by by everyone here, by the songs that we've been able to sing together. Uh, and now, turning our attention towards God's word. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We aren't going to spend much time in Psalm 42 in our lesson today, but I think that's a fitting introduction to what we're going to talk about. I want us to discuss overcoming frustration when our soul is disturbed within us, or maybe in despair. We talked two weeks ago about seeking correction from God's word. And th this lesson is really um, a result of that in my own life, because I know that this is something that I need to work on. Many times I, when I put together sermons, I uh, try to think about what's going to be most helpful to the congregation, to other people, but sometimes it's simply uh, a product of, of something that I need to, to study. Maybe many times, just about anything that anybody needs is, is something that I need as well. But especially here, as we talk about overcoming frustration, frustration with circumstances, with other people, or even frustration with ourselves, um, I hope that this will be something that's helpful to you the way uh, that it's been helpful to me. I actually wrote this sermon for the first time about a little over four years ago. Um, and at that point in our lives, I, I was going through a lot of growing pains in my work as an evangelist in St. Louis, and um, Aaron and I were going through a more difficult time, uh, even in our relationship. And it was really something that I recognized that I was failing in, that I struggled a lot with frustration. And I hope that since then I've grown in that, uh, but I know it's something that I need to be reminded uh, because Aaron could tell you uh, I'm not what you would describe uh, naturally uh, as a very laid-back individual. Um, that my, my tendency is to be uptight, uh, one-track mind, perfectionist, setting goals and then taking control to, to accomplish those goals. Uh, and when circumstances or other people or my own failures get in the way of my plans or my goals being achieved, uh, I can very easily get frustrated. I have a fairly long fuse when it comes to getting angry, uh, but when it comes to getting frustrated, just about anything can stir up my heart within me. And emotions are interesting things. God created us as emotional beings, and I, I think at their core, uh, every emotion that we experience has a proper place. Uh, there is a time where it is appropriate for us to uh, feel anger or feel grief um, or feel romantic attraction. All, all our emotions were created by God, but what happens sometimes is when we have the wrong attitude, when our priorities are in the wrong place, our, our wires get crossed and we start getting some emotional error messages that they are showing us, the, the way that we feel is showing us that our attitude is not what it needs to be, that, that our priorities are not in the right place. It's like we're, we're trying to, to find fulfillment in the wrong place. We're trying to fit a square uh, block through a circular hole and, and it's not working and so we get frustrated. 
And so I'm afraid that sometimes in my life, frustration is a sign of emotional error messages, user error, that, that I am not using emotions the way that God intended for them to be, that my priorities aren't in the right place. And so I hope today, as we examine the changes that we need to make uh, in our attitude and in our focus to help us overcome frustration, that it will be helpful to you as well to, to avoid some of those uh, eliminate some of those emotional error messages that we may feel from time to time. I think the first thing that has been helpful to me as I've considered this is the importance of denying self. I think many times frustration is the product of being too focused on ourselves. Things aren't going how I want them to go. Others aren't meeting my expectations. Goals aren't being achieved that I have set. My needs aren't being met. And so I begin to get frustrated. But Jesus has called us to forget about ourselves. He's called us to deny ourselves, to lose ourselves in service. We want to be a disciple of Jesus. Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If we're going to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it's no longer about us. It's not about my goals and my expectations and my desires and my needs. We are called to make a daily practice of setting aside our own wants and our own needs and our own emotions in order to serve God, in order to follow in the footsteps of Christ. And instead, God calls us to focus on the wants and the needs and the emotions of other people around us instead of simply ourselves. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, uh, as Paul goes on to talk about the mindset of Christ that we need to adopt as his disciples, here in verse 3 and 4, he kind of introduces a little bit about that mindset of Christ. He urges us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. You know, it's, it's natural for us to be in tune to our own needs and to our own emotions. Uh, you know, when I get up in the morning, uh, I think, well, what do I want to eat for breakfast? I think, what do I want to wear today? What do I want to listen to on the radio as I'm driving in the car? Uh, what do I want to do with my spare time today? And it's, it's very natural for us to be in tune to our own emotions and our own needs. But what we are being called to here is to train ourselves to be more in tune to other people's emotions and to other people's needs. That instead of focusing on our own interests, we need to focus on the interests of others. Instead of focusing on our own self-image and humility of mind, we need to regard one another as more important than ourselves, to place a greater value on their feelings and their interests. I think one example that we can look to of having this selfless focus and finding contentment and peace is the Apostle Paul. I, we're we're going to look multiple times at Paul's example throughout our, our lesson today, but notice in Philippians chapter 4, later on in the same book, what Paul expresses about his own life. Having this attitude that he's described earlier in the book, Paul is able to have peace and contentment. He says here in Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13, Not that I speak from want, 
For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Here Paul makes it very clear to these brethren that he is not focused on his own wants and his own needs. Although he is very thankful to these brethren for their generous concern and providing for his needs, he wants them to understand that his contentment doesn't come from the meeting of his own physical needs. Could we make this statement about ourselves? Can we say that we are content in whatever circumstances we are in? Am I content without the comforts and conveniences of American living? Am I content without high-speed internet connection? Am I content without cable television or Netflix or without being able to eat whatever I want whenever I want it? Without air conditioning or running water or an automobile to drive? If I can't say that I am content without these things, then maybe my focus is in the wrong place. Maybe I am a little too self-focused, worldly and physically minded. Because I want you to think about Paul the Apostle for a second. What circumstances is he describing here in his own life? What circumstances had he learned to be content with? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27, he describes some of the circumstances that he had been through. 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 23, Paul says, I have been beaten times without number often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been in frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor, hardship, through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And this is the man who just told us that he has learned in whatever circumstances he is in to be content. Do you think Paul might have struggled a little bit with frustration? Do you think if I was in Paul's shoes, the, the third time that I was shipwrecked, I might have said, come on, I've already gone through this twice. You think being imprisoned and chained and beaten that he might have struggled to be a little bit frustrated about his circumstances? But Paul says he had learned the secret of being content. No matter what was going on in his life, what was that secret? He says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where was Paul's focus? Was it on himself? Was it on his own needs and whether or not his needs were being met? Was his focus on how enjoyable this life was to him? No, his focus was on Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul could be content. He didn't have to be frustrated and stressed and upset about what was going on in his life because his focus wasn't on himself. It wasn't on how enjoyable his circumstances were to him. 
His focus was on Christ. And if Christ was being glorified, if his uh, desires were being met within Paul's life, then that is all that mattered. It was about bringing glory to Christ, fulfilling his goals, meeting the needs of his body, bringing him joy. It's no longer about what I want out of life. It's about what God wants out of my life. When that's our focus, then it doesn't matter what our circumstances, it doesn't matter if our goals are being achieved, if our expectations are being met. That's not going to bring me frustration. That's not going to disturb my soul. At the end of the day, I'm going to be able to find peace in any circumstances as long as God is being glorified. But also, to overcome frustration, I think we need to surrender some of our own expectations for life. Frustration is often caused by unmet expectations. We, we talked maybe a month ago about the power of expectations. We talked a lot about how expectations affect our interaction with other people, and how our expectations of others influence um, the, the messages that they get from us. But I, I want to focus for just a moment on how our expectations affect us and our own experiences, our own attitude and fulfillment. When what we expect from life and what we experience are in conflict, there's some tension and there's some frustration there. Um, just to give a very simple example, if, if you went to the res- a restaurant today and you ordered uh, a 12-ounce steak and the uh, waitress came out and brought you a taco salad, you, you might be a little bit frustrated. Well, that's not what I ordered. That's not what I was expecting. However, the person at the other table who ordered the taco salad wouldn't have thought a thing about it. That's what they were expecting. That's what they wanted. I think sometimes we receive something uh, that is a great blessing in our life. Our, Our experiences may be very good, things that we should be thankful for, and yet that's not what I was expecting. That wasn't my plan. That wasn't my goal. Uh, And so now I'm frustrated because things didn't turn out the way that I wanted them to. I think this often happens in our relationship with other people, whether it be our relationship with our our spouse or our brethren or other people in the world, or even our expectations towards our own circumstances in life. People don't live up to the standards that we have set for them, and life doesn't turn out the way that we have planned. But the problem is not with other people. The problem is not the circumstances that God has allowed us to go through. The problem is with our own expectations and our own viewpoint. There was a writer back in the 400s AD named Boethius, uh, who was an early um, philosopher around the time of the early church. And he writes this about his own experiences. He was actually exiled, and his fortune was taken away from him. But as he's grappling with this, he says, So petty are the trifles which rob the most fortunate of perfect happiness. How many are there, dost thou imagine, who would think themselves nigh heaven if but a small portion from the wreck of thy fortune should fall to them? This very place which thou callest exile is to them that dwell therein their native land. So true is it that nothing is wretched but thinking makes it so. And conversely, every lot is happy if born with equanimity. Um, I think that statement uh, about this land which was exile for him, to some, 
was their native land. It was a matter of expectation. It was a matter of perspective here. Um, and when we look at things in our life that aren't going the way that we want them to, we might be very frustrated because things didn't go according to my plan. And yet, if we can change our expectations, surrender our expectations to the Lord, we can see that, that God had a much better plan all along. I think this is a, particularly a problem for me because I, I am a big planner. I, I like to set goals. I like to you know, have a very definite path ahead. And yet, God has some things to say about us setting plans for ourselves. Turn in your Bibles to James 4. Um, we di- didn't get all the way down to this today. Um, James chapter 4, and we'll read verses 13 through 16 together. Here James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. When it comes to setting plans and goals and our own expectations for what the future is going to hold, God calls us to, in humility, surrender our future to him. To allow him to take the reins, allow him to direct our steps. We aren't in control of our future. Uh, and the lives of those around us. It doesn't matter what our goals or our expectations are. What matters it was what God's will and God's goals for my life is. He is the potter and I am the clay. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 says, The man, mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Again in 19 and verse 21, Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. You know, we can set goals, we can make plans all day long. We, we can work hard to try to achieve those goals um, and push others to fulfill our expectations of them. But ultimately, we aren't in control. Ultimately, our plans are not what matters. God is the director of our, stamp, uh, of our steps. His plans trump all others. And so we need to surrender our expectations to the Lord. It's not about what I expect from my brethren, from my spouse, from my children, uh, from my life here on earth. What matters is what God expects, what his plan, what his will is. It doesn't matter if things go the way that I want them to. It matters if it is within God's will. Jeremiah 10.23 that we looked at two weeks ago says, I know, O Lord, that man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. I need to surrender my own plans, my own goals, my own expectations, and be content with whatever God sees fit to allow within my life and with those around us. And I think closely related to that is the importance of trusting in God's provision. Sometimes denying ourselves and surrendering our expectations can be a very difficult thing to do because we feel that if we don't take care of fulfilling our own needs, well, then they're going to go unmet. And if we don't take control of our lives, then it's just going to fall apart around us. But if we have uh, the trust that we should have in God, 
we can find comfort knowing that he is there to take care of us, that he is in control of our lives, that he will provide what we truly need. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. It's easy to talk about trusting in the Lord. Um, it's easy to understand that concept. But brethren, it is a very difficult thing to do at times. To trust that God is in control. And that I don't have to worry. I don't have to be stressed. I don't have to be frustrated about the things that are going on in my life. Because he is in control. He is the potter and I am the clay. Do we truly believe that God can be trusted? with our cares and with our concerns? If so, then why do we become stressed and anxious and frustrated? You know, I, I think sometimes God, as the master potter, is, is taking hold of our life and he's molding it and he is directing it as he sees fit and we're standing on the sidelines saying, oh, wait, uh, you know, can we make a little change here? Oh, don't do that, uh, you know, Maybe I should just take this and do it myself. How arrogant it is of us to look at our lives, to look at what's going on in our lives, and to think that God's plan and God's provision is not adequate. If we have a genuine trust in him, it doesn't matter what uh, is going according to plan and what's not. It doesn't matter uh, what is difficult uh, in front of us. We trust that God is in control that he is the potter and that we are the clay. And we trust that he is faithful, that we can trust in him even in the difficult times, that he will not give us more than we can handle. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20, uh, 13, it says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. God is not going to give us anything that we can't handle. And so when different trials, when different uh, things that might upset us or, or get us frustrated or stressed come into our life, we can find a peace and a contentment knowing that there is nothing that is outside of God's control, uh, that he knows, that he cares, um, and that he is directing our path. Jesus emphasized the importance of trusting in God's provision in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn over to Matthew 6, uh, remember we studied recently uh, about overcoming worry and anxiety, and I think that is very closely related with what we're talking about here. And here in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the birds of the air, about the lilies of the field, how they don't have to, to stress over their 401k. They, they don't have to uh, you know, be upset when their AC goes out or, or their inter internet connection is spotty. Uh, they, they trust that in, in rain and sunshine, God is going to provide for them. God provides their daily needs, and he can do the same for us. But notice what is said in Matthew 6, down in verse 31 and 32. Jesus says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. 
you know, many times the, the stresses and the frustrations of life um, come because I think that I need to take control, that I need to figure this out, that I, I need to, uh, you know, provide for myself and for my own family. Um, and yet what Jesus is urging us to do here is to let go of those things. We don't have to be frustrated and stressed over these things. We can know that God will take care of them. That he knows our needs better than we know them ourselves. And that doesn't only apply to our physical needs. God knows my emotional needs. God knows my spiritual needs. As we already said, God is not going to allow me to go through more than I can handle. Later on in Matthew 7, and verse 7 through 11, Jesus goes on to say, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? I think sometimes as we face circumstances in our life, we feel that maybe God gave us a stone. Maybe God put a serpent in our path. And yet Jesus gives us an assurance here that if that's how we feel, it's because our perspective is wrong. It's because we can't see things the way that God sees things. God is a loving and caring Father. And He is not going to give us something that is ultimately going to result in our harm. Even the trials, even the difficulties, even the hardships that he allows us to go through, if we have the proper trust in him, are an opportunity for growth. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The promise here is not that all God causes all things to be good but that God causes all things to work together for good. If we will trust in him, if we will be devoted to him as we should, that we don't have to be stressed and frustrated and, and concerned about all these different things in our life that are seemingly spiraling out of control. Now we can trust that God is in control, even though I'm not. I think also closely related to that is remembering what's most important. Just because God is going to cause all things to work together for good doesn't mean that he's going to make things turn out the way that I want them to. Maybe my priorities are in the wrong place. Maybe what I want him to do is really not that important. Here in Matthew 6, we see in verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Verse 25, For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here, part of the problem here is not just that they weren't trusting in God, 
Part of the problem is that maybe our priorities are in the wrong place. Maybe our master is not what it should be. Um, and yet, if we will be fully devoted to the Lord, we will recognize that, that food and clothing and these other physical things pale in comparison with the importance of pleasing our Father in heaven. Down in verse 33, after talking about how the Gentiles seek after all these physical things, he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We need to make sure that we focus on the truly important things in our life, because many times we get frustrated because we are stressing about all the little things. Um, and maybe they seem like really big things to us because our focus is on earthly and physical and temporal things. But if we're trying to find our fulfillment in the physical things of this life, we're going to be frustrated. It's going to be like trying to fit a square block into a circular hole. It doesn't work. And so God would urge us to put our focus, to put the proper importance on his kingdom and on his righteousness. When we do that, the frustrations of this life will begin to fade into the background. Because, brethren, it does not ultimately matter how secure my job is or how secure my retirement plan is. It doesn't matter how comfortable a life I am able to live on this earth, how successful or healthy or well-respected I am. It doesn't matter if I'm keeping up with the Joneses. It doesn't matter if, if my kids are being as successful uh, on the ball field or, or even in their grades. While some of those things may have limited value, um, at the end of the day, this life is but a vapor. At the end of the day, all those physical things are going to vanish away, and what's going to be left is our relationship with the Lord. And so why be frustrated and upset and stressed and worried over things that are really not that important. We need to keep first things first. Luke chapter 9, verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? All these things that can cause us so much heartache, that can get us worked up and upset. Um, at the end of the day, we, everything could go right in our life. We could have the perfect job, the perfect education, the perfect children, the perfect wife, perfect car. And at the end of the day, it's not going to profit us anything if we don't have a relationship with the Lord. We need to put first things first. We need to stop focusing on these physical things and focus on the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, again, we can see Paul's example in this. In verse 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul recognized that what was truly important was his relationship with the Lord. But that is what was eternal. And everything else that might have been gained to him, everything else that might have been important to him in the past, he says, I've assigned it to the rubbish heap. I've assigned it to the dunghill in order that I may gain Christ. 
and the blessings of knowing him. Whatever it is that causes you frustration, that gets you worked up, that gets you upset, ask yourselves, is this really important in the light of eternity? If we can maintain that perspective, there's going to be a lot less in this life that gets us worked up. It doesn't matter that much. What matters is our relationship with the Lord. And so finally, we need to focus on our blessings. Many times we get frustrated because we are focusing on our unfulfilled wants and our unfulfilled needs or our unfulfilled expectations. When in reality, there are a lot more needs that have been met. There are a lot more blessings that have been given that far outweigh those things that we seem to be lacking. God has blessed us so abundantly. And if we are willing to stop and consider what he's given to us, we'll realize that we do not have any right to be frustrated with the circumstances in our lives. As Christians, we can maintain a joyful and grateful attitude in all of our interactions and in all of our circumstances. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This isn't a suggestion here. That This isn't you know, just the ideal of what things should be like. This is God's will for us. That we as Christians should be those who reflect a continual joy. And we're not just talking about, uh, you know, a, a happiness in our circumstances. Certainly we will have times of grief. We will have times of sorrow. But here he says rejoice always. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 he says rejoice always uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We can find joy in our relationship with the Lord because that's what matters. His kingdom and His righteousness, that's what's important. And that is not shaken by our physical circumstances. That's not shaken by whether or not our own personal goals here on life, in life are being fulfilled. We can still find joy in Him. And it says, in everything, give thanks. Now, he doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. Um, certainly there are going to be some uh, things that within themselves uh, are not good things. But in everything we can give thanks. Just as God can work all things for good for us. We can find those things to be grateful for and thankful for. And God is deserving of our gratitude. We have no right to be frustrated with what he allows us to go through from day to day because he has blessed us so abundantly even in our trials James 1 that we've studied recently in verse 2 consider it all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing even in our hardest times even the most difficult challenges that we face we don't have to be frustrated we can be joyous we can thank God in the midst of our trials. In Luke 6, uh, in verse 23, Jesus says we can leap for joy in that day. Why is it that we can leap for joy? Because we know that our God is in control. 
We know that our God is blessing us. We know that God is helping us to grow through these circumstances and that he is glorified in these circumstances if we will only see them in the light that he desires for us to see them. Even in our darkest day, there is a a rainbow in the cloud, and God is the one who has put it there. I want to look at the example of Paul once again in this. Paul, when he's writing the letter of Philippians, a letter that speaks very many times about joy, he's in prison. In fact, he's been in prison uh, for a number of years now. He was in Caesarea for about three years in prison, and now he is in Rome. For, for years and years, he's been in chains. He hasn't been able to go out and preach the gospel. And he talks about in uh, Philippians chapter 1 how there are those who are preaching Christ from selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Here, Paul is, is chained. Paul is not able to go out and preach like he wants to. And these others are preaching uh, almost out of spite for him to cause distress to his chains. What is Paul's attitude? He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. You know, is Paul there in his prison cell rattling the the, the bars, hitting against them, saying, why can't I be out there, Lord? Is is he cursing the the chains around his feet? Is is he uh, upset about all that has happened to him? Certainly, there was an aspect of Uh, of hardship in this. But Paul chooses to rejoice because it's not about him. He chooses to focus on the good. He chooses to focus on the fact that the gospel is not chained and that God's work is being accomplished and he can find joy, he can find gratitude in that. We can think of the example of Job as well. Job, in the span of only a few moments, lost all of his wealth, all of his livelihood, and the children whom he loved. How does Job respond? It says in Job chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we might think that that Job is going to shave his head, he's going to uh, mourn in ashes, and he's going to curse God. That he is going to complain, that he's going to cry out in despair against God. But what does he do? He worships God. Even in this hardest time, he focuses on what the Lord has given. Did you notice that? He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He recognized that every blessing that just was taken away from him was a blessing from the Lord to begin with. How do we choose to handle our circumstances and our hardships? Are we willing to focus on the blessings, to count our blessings, to be grateful and to be joyous even in our hardest times? We have a choice whether we will allow our trials to make us bitter and frustrated, or whether we will allow them to make us better and more thankful for what God has given us. Are you choosing joy? Are you choosing gratitude and peace and contentment? 
Or are you allowing your relationships and experiences and circumstances to steal away your joy and leave you frustrated and in despair? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. If we want to have the peace that God describes that we can have, um, then we need to follow his direction. We need to let him be the potter of our life, and that means denying self, surrendering our expectations to him, trusting in him to provide and to direct our life, remembering what's most important and focusing on the blessings that God has given us. If you recognize this afternoon that your priorities have not been in the right place, that you haven't been maintaining a godly attitude in the circumstances that you have dealt with, and that you need to make some change. Make it now. And if that change is of a public nature, if you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren, if you need to confess some public sin, we want to offer you that opportunity. Uh, if you need to commit your life to the Lord for the first time, by His grace, you can wash away your sins and the waters of baptism. You can bury the old life. You can be raised to a life of hope, of joy, of peace that is going to last for all eternity. That's what God wants for you. That's what we want for you. If there's anything that we can do to help you in that regard, please let us know.